This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Elkshape Podcast, episode 71 with me, Dan, the fitness man. Hey, y'all, thanks for tuning in. Today's fun one. We're going to announce the winners for the Elkshape Camp Scholarship and... Whoever tagged the winner is going to get their fresh pair of Kinetrek kicks, Bridger Ridge highs. They're also going to get the Wapiti game bags from Caribou Game Bags. So I'm super stoked to announce that. But before we go there, let's talk about the Elk Shape Podcast real quick. Guys, if you've never listened to this podcast before, it's basically a blue-collar, do-it-yourself, over-the-counter elk hunting podcast. And we leverage elk hunting to make yourself the best version of yourself through basically our sponsors, delayed gratification, discipline, hard work, and being accountable to yourself. So today we're bringing on Brian Lynn, Sports Men's Alliance. He actually lives down the road from me and I had no idea about their group. They're actually pretty big presence and they've been fighting for decades for hunters' rights. There's a lot of options out there when you're looking about donating money. And so I dug in on this one and asked them some hard questions. I just wanted to know their take on some topics and and really where's their money coming from? Where is their money going and how are they spending their resources? These guys' sleeves are rolled up. Their hands are dirty. They're in the courtrooms. They have lawyers. They're fighting against anti-hunting groups. Those groups are very organized, they're very united, and they're very delusional. We as hunters need to unite together, and I think that's the take-home message today is uh, we're our own worst enemies. We tear each other down, and a lot of it's ego-driven, so we talk about that, and really he educates us on really where we're at on this conservation program and all the legislation, all the ballots that hit this year in this cycle in January 1 uh, is unprecedented. There's never been so many. So really informative. If you want hunting to be around for your children's children, tune in, check it out. Brian Lynn, really sharp guy. Enjoyed the heck out of this one. Now, let's get on to 
some elk-shaped business, support the cast, rate it, do me a favor, tell a buddy. That's it, that simple. Uh, Shout-outs. Wanted to give a shout-out to Vortex Optics, Kinetrek, Onyx Hunt. You guys have been really helping out with the elk-shaped camps. I appreciate your support. If you want to check out our YouTube channel, it is the Elk Shape YouTube channel. You can find us on Instagram at Elk Shape. Now, let's announce our winners. We did a random drawing. We did a post. It was only on Instagram that you could try to win. And we did a random generator based on the 280 plus comments. This is the guy who won. Kyle Dahlberg, you are going to Elk Shape Camp if you can get there. That's at D-A-H-L-I-3-6. I'll send you a direct message. Your buddy that tagged you, he is getting a pair of Kinetrek boots and the Wapiti game bags. This is Dusty at T-X-D-U-S-T, text dust. You are the winner. Guys, thanks for participating. We're going to do a few more of those. We're about halfway filled up on the camp. If you've never heard of the Elk Shape Camp, you can check it out on elkshape.com. I don't think it needs any more hammering. You guys kind of know what we're looking to do there. And without further ado, let's get to today's podcast. Thanks for listening. I appreciate your support. Hey, Elk Hunters. Corey Jacobson here from elk101.com. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking about elk hunting every day of the year and working continually to maximize your chances for success this fall. Well, Dan and I have created a special opportunity for you that I feel will absolutely take you to the next level in elk hunting, regardless of your previous experience. Three years ago, I created the University of Elk Hunting online course with one goal in mind, to make you a more successful elk hunter. The UEH online course contains 45 chapters of detailed elk hunting information organized into 17 modules and covering every imaginable elk hunting topic. From planning and scouting to calling tactics and tracking and every topic in between, the University of Elk Hunting online course is the most comprehensive and complete resource available to elk hunters. And for listeners of the Elk Shape podcast, Dan and I have teamed up to offer you a 20% discount when you sign up. Simply go to elk101.com, click the link to the online course, and use the code ELKSHAPE, all one word, when you check out. You owe it to yourself to invest in the single most lethal weapon that you take to the elk woods each fall. Invest in you. Sign up for the University of Elk Hunting online course and elevate your elk hunting success today. Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan, the fitness man today. We're sitting down at CrossFit Spokane Valley in Spokane Valley, Washington with Brian Lynn from Sportsman's Alliance. What's up, man? How are you? Good. Glad to be here. This is fun to be in local. It is. And in person's good. Yeah. So um, we can kind of just dive right in, get to know your background. Uh, I'm really pumped for this episode because I looked into what you guys got going on. It's pretty cool. This should be a good platform for you to educate. And then I'm going to ask some crazy questions because I want to really know, like, where is the money going? Who's really fighting the battle? Where is the battle? Because ultimately, I think you guys all listening can agree. We want hunting to be there for our kids as kids in the story. Like that's, yeah. that's my main concern. And there's a lot of avenues to, to put your money towards. We all know we as sportsmen already tax ourselves and put buy tags and license and support everything. The only people that don't seem to know that are the ones that are against hunting. And we'll get into that. Uh, yeah. But before we dive down that rabbit hole, 
Tell us about you, man. Like, give us your background, not only your career, but your hunting career as well. Yeah. No, I uh, grew up here in Washington State, Columbia Basin, Moses Lake, Euphrata, Washington area. Uh, mostly bird hunting, you know, uh, upland birds, waterfowl. Got into the big game later, high school and then college. And then as I went through the career, got more and more into it. Um, so, yeah, I went to school at Eastern Washington, which, as you know, living here, there's great hunting for just about everything around here. So, yeah. So I got to do that and lived out there. And Eastern was a great great place to go to school and be able to just duck out after after class or sometimes skip class and well yeah what go years duck were hunting. you out there <laughs> uh mid 90s okay gotcha. to 97 gotcha. 98 so yeah oftentimes we would uh, head back back towards the odessa area and mm-hmm. go uh, duck hunting after being being out for the night and yeah. <laughs> hunt the morning and make it back in time for class and uh it was a great time cool. um so yeah i grew up around here doing that and then uh Actually, I was going to be a cop, and I was waiting to get hired and going through the background checks and all that stuff and was living over in Seattle and needed a job, and there was literally an ad in the paper that said, do you like to hunt and fish? Can you write well? We're looking for editors. And I was an English major. and Oh, there you go. I was like, oh, yeah, this Sign is awesome. <laughs> and so I got hired as the editor for Texas Fishing and Hunting News. And uh, so I moved to Texas and did that for a year. And that was in 2000, I guess, 99, 2000, okay. somewhere in there. And in 2001, I was hired by ESPN.com and helped launch ESPN Outdoors. And what year was that? 2001. Dude, that's pretty early for dot-coms and yeah. stuff like that. Like, that's impressive. Yeah, and w- the things we were doing, we were way ahead of our time. I mean, you see it happening now, and we were trying to do things back then when people were, we still had to worry about dial-up and page 100%. weight and all this other stuff, you know. And, I mean, we were doing fantasy bass fishing and, you know, just uh, trying to do all sorts of stuff that we actually didn't have the bandwidth, literally the bandwidth, to make it work sometimes, that's but neat. we were trying to do it. It was cool. You know? Wow! And and actually, you that's know, why I paused you. I'm like, what? 2001? Yeah, that's our, yeah. Bandwidth was an issue, yeah, for sure. So that's cool. Yeah, and so it was fun. Um, at first, we had very little oversight. You know, the ESPN folks were like, "Hey, just you guys do whatever you want." Nice. You know, so it was cool. So I got to I I ran the sporting dog section, the conservation section. So I got into conservation and got to meet all the different groups, worked with them, and the headline news. And uh, we always thought, well, what's going to be news and for hunting and this and that? But there's a lot of news out there. And it was like single click. Like nowadays you see people, you know, everything's a gallery or whatever to get page view impressions. Back then, you know, we were just doing single click content. And every year we had some of the most emailed, because there was no social network back then, mm-hmm. the most emailed stories in the ESPN universe. Wow. Like I'd have like, three out of the top ten most emailed stories in ESPN. I mean, like, you're competing with NASCAR, and I think was the one, the only one, Jeff Gordon's divorce beat me, beat one of my stories yeah. once, and that was it. You know, so it was pretty eye-opening to see the reach that Outdoors had and see that viral content before it was called viral. Viral, yeah. yeah. You know. In your lifetime. That's what's so cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because when you were a kid, we didn't have cell phones. No. No. I, I got my first cell phone in 2007 when... The- I left ESPN, moved to New York, and worked for Outdoor Life. I needed to be able to call my wife to pick me up at the train when we first moved there. And that's the only reason I got a cell phone. I, just, I know. I was avoiding cell phones. It was like, if I'm not in the office or near a phone, I don't want to be found. <laughs> for sure. So, Which uh, uh, yeah. nowadays even more true. Oh, 
That's why get away I with it now. go hunting in places there is no cell phone service. It's the greatest gift. Yeah, and it takes can... a couple of days to disconnect that. Oh yeah, the check and the yeah. It's after a couple of days, it's like ah oh, yeah. Finally. I was just bear hunting for four days. Don't get cell phone service, um, and it wasn't like hardcore bear hunting. I'm just out poking around. Dude, it was so sweet. Just yeah. four days is all it took for me to like almost get my needle back to to a, where it should Decompress be. It's like, whoa, and... whoa, whoa. Okay. Yeah. After ESPN.com in the early 2000s, yeah. where'd you go from there? Uh, jumped over to Outdoor Life magazine. The yeah. Outdoor Life. The Outdoor wow. Life. So, yeah, Outdoor Life, Field and Stream, Sister Magazines yep. in, uh, in Manhattan. They're always where they're based out of. So, moved to New York City and lived there and worked there in, in Midtown Manhattan. And oh, thank you. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, no, it was a change. I remember going out to lunch one day and. The office is right on Two Park Avenue, right two blocks from the uh, Empire State Building. I'm standing there waiting across cross Park Avenue, and I'm looking up at the Empire State Building going, how in the hell did I get here from little old Efreda, Washington, where we have three stoplights? Exactly. <laughs> you know, so, but that was, that was fun, and that was, uh, you know, learned a ton. And So were you in New York in 2001? No, 2006 okay. Okay. to about 2009. Okay, so for three yeah. years you were stationed there. Yeah. Uh, and so what was your title? I was senior editor. Senior editor. There. So what does a senior editor do at such a pretty prestigious, in my opinion, yeah. publication? Yeah. No, uh, you do the same thing. You know, there's a team of editors, and so, you know, we all kind of do the same thing. We have our chunks of the magazine we work on. We have our writers. You'll sit down and come up with the issue. Uh You know, looking ahead going, oh, okay, here's the rut issue. What are we going to talk about? Because literally – all the outdoor magazines talk about the same thing. And Outdoor Life at that time had been around 111 years or something. So mm-hmm. it's like, how do you talk about the rut in a new way for the 111th time? Yep. You know? So we'd put our heads together and come up, try to come up with creative ways, different ways to do it. Is it post-rut? Is it pre-rut? Is it, you know, in between times? Is it, you know, how do you do this? You know, how do you come up with a new angle? You know, and then, okay, we got our packages of stories we want to put in there to cover this topic, whatever it is for the month. Um, who are the best writers? So then, okay, I think so-and-so, or I think so-and-so. And, you know, you have your stable of writers, and you assign it, you work with them, and uh, get the manuscript in, and then shape it and edit it down, and then work with the graphic designers to give it the look and feel that you want to go yeah. with the words, you know, and... Then you just go from there. So what size of army does it take to put out a publication like that? Ugh, that was pretty big. I mean, they've downsized since then just because of the economy and the way print publication's gone. Mm-hmm. But at the time... In its heyday. Yeah. Yeah, at the time there, we had, uh, oh, I don't know, three or four, three designers and photo folks, three or four of those. And then there was... One, two, three, four, five of us editors and then some copy editors... You know, so, yeah. And then there's the whole publishing side of the sales staff behind both magazines. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, but it was uh, it was a beast, but it was it was fun. It was good, and you get to know everybody in the industry then. And, yeah, you do. You know, come up with, it was nice being able to have a bigger budget, being able to come up with creative ways to do things, you know. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you end up, as a writer, going on a lot of hunts because of that job? Yeah, yeah, especially with that job. Because, I mean, those Field and Stream and Outdoor Life are the two biggest Yep. And then Peterson's is right there. But so, yeah, you're able to go on hunts and, you know, meet everybody and see some cool stuff and go to cool areas. Any cool hunts stand out? Yeah. Um, 
I always loved waterfowling, grew up waterfowling and dogs, and so I wrote about dogs for us for, even after I left there, I ran the gun dogs blog for about six years. Okay. training and stuff. So, yeah, duck hunting down in the Delta, and, uh, you know, actually, I get that a lot. It's like, what's your favorite? And it's hard to say. Yeah. Because I've been lucky enough, I've been able to pretty much travel the entire country and getting to hunt and fish, and each of them has their own culture, mm-hmm. their own type of people, their belief systems, the food. I mean, now it, you're talking. It, yeah, yeah. Habitat. Um, it's just cool. I yeah. mean, every, every place you go is different and that's what makes this country so awesome. I know that's really cool. And I, I'm the worst. I'm not a very well-rounded person when it comes to anything. It's just my personality. I'm like, got a couple. In. Yeah. I'm like, ah, elk hunting. And I, I mean, I'm sure duck hunting's cool and all, but like, I just I don't have enough room on my yeah. psycho ness to <laughs> I would be a psycho duck hunter, man. I'd have all the dogs, all the boats, all the deeks, all yeah. the places. It's too much, <laughs> man. I would not be married. Uh so I get that, but I appreciate being a well rounded sportsman. There's something for a guy who can go take to the field, go duck hunting in the morning, you know, upland b- birds, go with the fields, work the dogs. I mean, that's great. Go yeah. turkey hunting. Go fish, go enter a bass tournament, yeah. go kill a big public land whitetail, go grab your bugle tube, go elk. I mean, all that stuff. Like, if you're well-rounded, mad respect. Yeah. I think that's cool. Yeah. Uh, it's not me, though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not well-rounded. Well, you're probably much more successful than I am, though, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> At one thing. But, yeah. So then what did you do after you left? I mean, that's a pretty sweet gig. Where did yeah. you go from there? Uh, well, that's when the economy just tanked, right? I remember that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was horrible. I had just bought my first house in 2007. Horrible time. Highest yeah. market ever. Good. Yeah. I'm, I'm awesome at being really bad at things. <laughs> I'm telling my wife the same thing. I'm like the worst at real estate. Yeah. I have the worst timing. So yeah. everyone seems that I know makes money off real estate. I don't. Yeah, not I'm me. The, not I can lose money on real estate. That's funny. Okay. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Got laid off back there. You know, the, the publishing just got slaughtered. I think publishing lost jobs at three times or yeah, something three times the national average, mm-hmm. which at the time was 11% unemployment. So it was like yeah. 30% unemployment because yep. there was no advertising. And no. that's what supports those magazines. Mm-hmm. And so everybody just was getting whacked left and right. And so, uh, yeah, being back east without a job and nobody hiring, it was like, I'm getting the hell out of here. You know, So got Damn off the so. east coast as fast as we could and came back this way and uh, – Settled back in home here and uh, started freelancing and, and did that for mm, probably five years. How hard is it to do that? That's hard. Honestly. Yeah, honestly, it's like, hard. Writer's block or just don't feel like writing anymore? I mean, like how much are you writing well, as it's, a freelance it's guy? It's more of how, what do you do each day? You have to do something to be bringing money in. Is it more about so, volume or quality for a guy – who with who has a writing background? Yeah, and honestly went to school for writing. Like you obviously know how to articulate. Yeah, what's harder, coming up with mo- lots of content and volume, or is it more like quality and really good images and a story? Like, see, I'm a perfectionist when I write, so uh, okay. I, I agonize over every word, and I have a love hate relationship. Like getting it out is not like ah, I wait to the last second, drink a bunch of Mountain Dew and Skittles, get on a sugar high, and just start typing and let it out. You know, the deadline is the greatest push motivator for me um okay. but to make a living doing it you got to have quantity okay you gotta have yeah this pipeline full 
So then you're getting your assignments turned in and you got more to do, but then you also then are getting paid, getting those checks, because sometimes it'll take a month or more to get a check from a place. And so you're sitting there going, okay, when's the next check going to come in? You know, so it's, it's, it's a hand-to-mouth living often. often yeah, there's know. a guy here in Spokane. He's a really good writer, uh, Lon Lauber. Do you know who that guy? Uh, he's or writes from Spokesman and stuff, I think. Or Lon Lauber was a guy who would write for all the hunting magazines. Yeah. Like, he literally, I don't know how many, he's just an unbelievable writer, yeah. but I always would talk to him here or there at the archery shop, man. I just, I used to write a little bit enough to, back when there was no social, yeah. that's what you did. Like, yeah. you wanted to, like, tell your story or get it out there, you had to write. Yeah. And you couldn't wait to get magazines. So, I'm sure I've read your stuff. I'm sure, because I'm probably guaranteed yeah. to, but. I don't want to write hardly ever. Like I, it's so much work, and to be a freelance writer is yeah. crazy. Because what about supporting images and all that stuff? Did you have to go down that learning curve? Or did yeah, it, it would depend on which which magazine it was. Yeah. Some some of the smaller ones are like, yeah, don't provide images with it. Some of the you know Outdoor Life, some Petersons and Field and Streams are like, no, we got we got you. Images. Yeah. Like you're not going to be able to take one good enough, <laughs> you know, for sure. Which is true. Um, so yeah, you have to do that sometimes, you know. So. Had articles in there where I needed to come up. And now, in those five years of being a freelance, were, were, had you kind of switched to also writing for like blogs and stuff like that? And oh so, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. So now you're selling stuff for yeah. the internet, which is dude. I, like when you're freelancing, you're not you're not greedy. You're just needy. Like, yeah. I mean, you're just like, who's gonna pay? And then how yeah. much networking? I mean, they always say if the network to get work. How many editors like did you have to like? smooge or just to get work or send pieces or did you get stayed pretty busy i stayed pretty busy you know i would do that i would do uh online the dot-com stuff so i was even after i left outdoor life i was the gun dogs editor so i ran that gun dogs blog you know and did that every week um and then just wrote for just about any of the magazines or online that's kind of when online was really taking off and the social was starting up um there i worked on some tv stuff and you know Worked, helped a genetics lab here for canine genetics here, you know, helped them launch and wrote and did stuff, PR stuff for them and made connections there. So just after being at Outdoor Life and ESPN and stuff, you just know everybody. That's great. You know. Yeah, it makes sense. So why'd you stop doing that? Uh, that's a that's a tough uh, gig to begin with, like I said, hand-to-mouth living and all that. Yeah. And then uh, actually I went on a media hunt for Outdoor Life uh Wyoming antelope hunt. I think it was Wyoming. Might have been Nebraska. I don't remember. Um, with for outdoor life, and one of the sponsors was Sportsman's Alliance. And at the time, it was the uh, new CEO at the time. Uh, he since left, but we hit it off in camp. We hunted together. Uh, had some great talks, and then they were actually I don't know six months or so later. We're looking for a new uh, marketing communications. Somebody to head that up and called me, and I was like, I'd be interested, but I can't make it back to Ohio. I'm living here now and got the family here, and so they agreed to let me work remote, and I jumped into Sportsman's Alliance, who I've always been fans of and worked with. Worked Going with. back to the ESPN days, I would yeah. check things with them and keep a pulse on the animal rights movement because it's always been a passion. Like The hypocrisy surrounding the animal rights movement has always just been astounding to me. And so I've written stuff going back to, you know, 2001. Thank you. About that stuff. and uh, We appreciate know, that. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was a natural fit, and it's actually probably like the perfect job. I get to 
stir things up. I get to expose hypocrisy. I get to look at the legislative stuff and, you know, get into these battles and point out why it's wrong and try to educate hunters about it, you know, and they hopefully non-hunters as well. But, uh, you know, yeah. let it be known what's going on. I don't think we have a lot of non-hunters listening to this podcast. There's <laughs> probably a few, though. Uh, but, see, the big thing is is we as hunters need to educate them. We need to educate them. For certain. And that's why that's you're here today, gonna man. Lose. You're going to drop knowledge. So let's break <laughs> down Sportsman's Alliance. And then everybody listen, listening to this podcast is pretty familiar with my lack of filter. I'm just going to ask you hard questions, man, because, like, I want to know. And cool. I don't have a lot of, like, sponsors kind of guiding my decisions. Uh-huh. I'm just kind of making decisions, hoping that my partners are okay with what I do because <laughs> I'm just going to be me. So, Good. dude. I'm a I'm a lifetime member of Backcountry Hunter and Anglers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've supported the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation from time to time. I don't currently. I haven't been impressed with them lately, but I'm hoping that they'll change. And we can talk about that. Yeah. But I know you're here to talk about you guys. But bottom line is, man, like, I can't even tell anymore who's for what. There's a lo- local guy here who's he's got this. I'm going to bring him on. His name's Justin Webb. Yeah. Do you know him? Yeah. What's the name of his? Uh, Foundation for for Wildlife. Wildlife Management, yeah. Everything that he's doing, I like. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. I'm going to bring him on. I might even send him some money. Like, I like what he's got going on. But it's tough. Like, we as hunters want to help. We want to educate. And we have, you know, we want to invest money because that's one of the things you can do Mm -hmm. in our time. How do we figure out who to support? Like, what's everybody doing? Can you give us a snapshot as kind of the angles yeah, I mean, it, it gets tough, right? Um, and that's that's the same thing even, you know, we'll get asked by industry folks about, hey, what's up with this company or this company? And it's often things sound great. You have to dig. You have to look. And if yes. you're going to send them money, you look. You know, even if it's, you know, I don't even know. But you got to look look beyond just the surface. You okay. know, look who they're affiliated with. Look at what they're actually doing, um, and who those, who their partners' partners are. Exactly. You know, because it it becomes very, it can be tertiary, right? Like, okay, this guy, this group is connected to this group, who is actually connected to this third group. You know, and if they're filtering money back and forth or working together on something else, you got to be careful. You know. But at the end of the day, it comes down to what your values are and what's important to you. And we all serve our own little niches, you know, in the industry. Okay. I buy that. Yeah. yeah. So it's – it often, you know, whether it's elk or ducks or, you know, trapping or fur bearing or public land or whatever, we're all this little piece of the pie that adds up to the whole. Sure. And so, you know, kind of what we say is – what we'd like to see ultimately is every hunter should be a member of the Sportsman's Alliance because we're protecting you. Uh, a gun, one of the gun groups, whether that's NRA or Gun Owners of America or whoever that protects your Second Amendment rights, and then pick your favorite critter and support them. Okay. You know, something like that. Do something like that because you can go broke. I mean, I remember when I was in Texas and talking with an old fishing guide, and he was like, Son, you're going to go broke if you try to support everybody. (laughs) He's like, pick a couple and just roll with it. (laughs) So the Mule Deer Foundation, Mm -hmm. the Rocky Mountain Oak Foundation, 
What's the what's some whitetail options? Uh, QDMA. Okay. Yeah, Quality Deer Management Association. They have some great studies they do on whitetail, you know, and and from aging to social structures to habitat to behavior. I mean, they have some. I worked with them actually at ESPN.com. Oh, okay. They provide content for the conservation mm-hmm. page, and they have some just amazing studies they do. That's so great. That's what great about one. so Ducks Unlimited? What Delta. about do bears have a group? Or is that generally the anti-hunters that want to? No, there's 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 is groups. Um, new one coming up, uh, Western Bear Foundation. Really? Yeah, I haven't looked too deep into them. They seem yeah. to be pretty good. Okay. Um, again, so it's something where you got to look into. Okay, here's what a group says on the front page of their website or the about us. So you have to dig in. You have to dig. You have to look. You know, you go beyond that and see what they say their mission is. Look for, you know, slippery language. Can we look, yeah, <laughs> slippery yeah, language. No. I like that. When they say who their partners are or what projects they've worked on. I mean, some of these, you know, uh, environmental groups what sound about great. following money? Is that yeah. one thing that you can do? Like yeah. you literally follow yeah. the money to yeah. see where Because yeah. actions speak louder than what you say you know, you're about. Yeah, yeah. Where is it, where is that money being spent? Where is it coming from? That's what you always got to look at. At and the I bottom like, line, look where where's it's the money coming from and where is it going to? And that will answer your question. Okay, that, that helps out. Um, what about for pronghorn? Anything come to mind? I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Is there a Sportsman's for Wildlife? SFW? There Are they still something around? like that? I don't know if there's. I can't keep around. track. No, I seriously but can't yeah, keep there, track. No, there's. <laughs> if there's a critter, there's an organization for sure. it somewhere. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess we got you here. Yeah. We're gonna talk about you. Yeah. I want to circle back to that money thing because I I think I saw something with the mediator guy, Renella, who is not a personal friend, but I think he's really interesting to listen to. Yeah. So he's got that going for himself. Yeah. I've read some of his stuff. Really good writer. Yeah. He's really cool. All that aside, I feel like somebody who owns Meat Eater Inc., he is the CEO. I'm not sure how it's all structured, but somehow he's getting an investment from a guy who's pretty much not into hunting or guns. Yeah. And I don't know the details behind that. If you guys do, I'd love to hear about it because that's where money's coming from. Yeah. So I find that curious. Now, I don't want to cause a bunch of controversy, yeah. but I just want to point out for our listeners, like, that's just one thing to be aware of is, like, you've got to look at where money's coming from and where is it going, who's being transparent, who's using black and white language. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, like, what's it, you know, if it's a investment dollars, capital venturist or something like that, they may hold a belief system, but is it coming out on the other end? You know, like, it may just be a financial agreement, which is always important, and there is obviously the ability to influence, but is it actually influencing? So you got to look at, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole piece of the pie. It's not as simple as saying A and B. Most people who invest a lot of money are expecting a return on investment. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't have to like worry about it and they're just getting returned, getting their check, they probably leave it alone. Yeah. But if they need to get in there um, and stir things up, I guess, but I don't know much about that scenario, but I just bring it up because that's just one example I can think of where like these guys have conflicting interests, but ultimately Steve's running the show. Yeah. And I like everything that I read that he says and yeah. that he does. No, he and does. So he's, he's on my radar right now. Steve, you're on my radar. Like I know you're, <laughs> you're getting some money from this guy 
but you're doing a great job right now. But I'm going to keep an eye on you, make sure there's no like silliness, and yeah. that's that's our job as sportsmen. And that's and that goes for everybody. I'm yeah. just being honest. Like we got to yeah. just no, hold it, each other accountable. Yeah, no, exactly. Hold each other accountable. Uh, support each other too. You know, yes. So much of what we see, you know, one of the things we harp on is we got to support each other. Like that's this is how we're getting killed. There, there. It's death by a thousand cuts. Yep. Divide and conquer is what the animal rights movement is doing. They're picking on things that have a lower uh, participation. Hounds, trapping, the use of bait, all these things that your whitetail hunter doesn't really care about. So you're not going to turn out that big whitetail, elk, whatever guy to vote or support it. They're picking on these things, and they're getting them banned. Here in Washington, no hounding, no baiting, no trapping. It's gone. And that's what they're doing. They're doing it nationwide, state by state, species by species, method by method. And they said point blank, that's how they're going to do it. Do you uh, – so, yeah, I, co- I totally agree. They start with the lowest hanging fruit, mm-hmm. and they work their way up. We'll probably get into wolves. We always seem to do on this podcast. Yeah. Well, since we're in the state of Washington, which I'm not a huge fan <laughs> of Washington. <obviously. laughs> I'm about to move three miles further east. <laughs> yeah, same here. Yeah. Uh, I just don't see myself living in – in this state because it's uh it, it's hard to stomach but like so let's just talk baiting bears like mm-hmm. i mean i bait bears in yeah. idaho dude it's no guarantee Hell like no. zero but it doesn't that doesn't bode well with the public until you like have a conversation now i have 200 people to work out here at this gym we're at my gym right now recording most of them aren't hunters all all of them know i hunt and they still come here like yeah. they don't think i'm some just murderer one of my coaches total like true vegan, like as vegan and proud as you can imagine. <laughs> love her to death. She loves me. We're cool. Yeah. And I and and I love that. And a lot of people just see it as, oh, you're baiting a bear. That's cheating. It's not sportsmen. Mm-hmm. But what they don't understand is bears are almost impossible to judge. And if you see a bear and have a happenstance opportunity and you shoot it, you didn't see the cubs that yeah. were behind the bushes. You just took out their mom. So that's an issue. Washington State has the most bears out of any state in the lower 48. We don't bait. We can't use hounds. We don't even have an over-the-counter spring. We have a controlled hunt, a controlled hunt yeah. for an overpopulation of bears. You can't get rid of bears, dude. And <laughs> bears aren't like deer. We're like, ooh, that's an eight-and-a-half-year-old yeah. deer. That's a giant in his prime, or he's old. Dude, eight-year-old bear, he's like... Literally just eight years old. He's got, you know, one or two more decades to go. Bears live a long time. They have, what, a couple cubs every spring. And they, I don't know. So to me, it's like. uh, Also, like the the deer is, you know, we we pattern deer. We pattern, okay, here's the bedroom. Here's where they're feeding. Here's Mm -hmm. the travel corridors. And they're going to stay that way pretty much unless they go, you know, it's the rut and, you know, the buck takes off and goes on a walkabout. They stick to a home range and they have a pattern. Apex predators tend to not do that. Correct. They might have a home range, but they go wherever the hell they want and they eat whatever they want. That could be grass and roots. That could be bugs. That could be small mammals. That could be deer. That could be your pet or it could be your kid. They really don't care. They're just hungry and they need to eat. That's right. You know, and so the happenstance of finding a bear and doing a stock and spot or spot and stock your your odds of getting that are much, much lower. All bait does is help 
pattern that animal for a short amount of time mm-hmm. to increase the odds of the take, you know. And But this is a conversation, right? We're sitting here. You talked about it. I'm talking about it. Our, as sportsmen, our message is a long message. And most people really don't give a rip. The non-hunter doesn't care. Right. You know, and it just still says, I don't know, something feels weird about it, but okay, if you say so. But then we have other hunters saying, oh, those are slob hunters. I don't agree with bait. That's not hunting. So now the non-hunter hears that. They go, oh, well, now even the hunting community, I have a friend who says it's slob hunting. Well, I'm going to vote this way. And until you sit down and have yeah. this long conversation, they don't understand. But the animal rights movement will get a headline in the local newspaper saying slaughtered over bait, you know, needs to be banned. And they can use keywords and catchphrases and the word trophy, and it changes public opinion mm-hmm. just like that. It does. It do- I don't even like those words you said. Yeah. And I'm a hunter. I'm a killer. Yeah. But you said slaughter. You know, you said the word trophy. Mm-hmm. That's was, their big push. Right oh, now. God. Everything's I mean, a trophy hunt. Yeah. Anything, everything and they I couldn't want agree to more. ban is a trophy Everything hunt. I kill is a trophy to me. Yeah. It's a trophy to me. I don't care yeah. what it is. It's it's hard to kill an animal, and I'm a bow hunter with a bow, any animal, yeah. but any weapon. But it's a trophy to me. Uh, it's a trophy in my freezer, mm-hmm. and I love eating on it year-round. Yeah, I get the the whole, like, nuance movement and, like, you know, no gripping grins. And, and I have heard some of the stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've heard those narratives. Uh, you get guys divided when you talk like that. You yeah. know, guys will be like, F you, I'm going to do my grip and grin. And then get the other guys that are a little more, no, I get it. We should do that and promote the food angle. Bottom line is, what are some musts, not shoulds, that we should do as hunters to keep hunting going for our kids as kids? We don't ever have to apologize for being a hunter. We don't need to antagonize either, however. You know, grip and grin, great, you know. There's the whole solemn angle that happened for a little while where everything's this big, you know, almost religious experience with the animal and everybody looks all sad or contemplative. I'm like, hell no, I'm smiling. I don't care. I'm going to smile with it and do that, but in a respectful manner. Uh, you see, what, what, ha- what do everything we have that blows up in the media, what do they have in common? It's either a megafauna, lion, elephant, giraffe, uh, wolf, or it's somebody taking a really stupid picture that is easy to misconstrue on social media. Don't post or take pictures of stupid shit with your animals. The end. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. You take a nice, well-framed picture, you're going to be fine. You know, and, and you got other people... And this happens. People in our industry will create controversy in order to drum up sponsorships and money. Hmm. You know, they've had people that, uh, you know, called, oh, help us, help us. You know, we're being attacked by animal rights people. I'm like, well, okay, what, what do you mean attacked? Oh, they're all over our page, you know. And I'm like, well, what's the page? And they'll tell you. And you'll go look at it. And it's like, well, why does this page exist? This is your 12-year-old daughter or whatever. Well, she really likes to hunt and show it off. I'm like, all right, well, make your page private, and it's over. Oh, well, we don't want to do that. I was like, okay, then are you whoring your daughter out? What are you doing here? 
Wow, basically. You know, if you're trying to, if you want to be a celebrity in the hunting world, well, get used to it. This is what comes with the spotlight. You know, you want to be in the spotlight, you're going to take the heat. Yeah, that's right. So don't complain about it, you know. So it's just tough. But So let's not cut each other down. Yeah. Like, I know my podcast, I talk a lot about public land. Do it yourself. Buy your tag at Walmart. Because I'm passionate about that. And yeah. I think that's relatable. Yeah. And I don't relate to guys that have the means to get a fifteen to $20,000 elk tag plus a trophy fee and a guide fee and go hunt the awesome states with... Would I love to do that? I don't know if I would, actually. Yeah. I love this blue collar celebrating over a five point on day 10. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I love well, that, but that, I that don't whole culmination of want, doing it yourself. I don't want to talk down. Like, those no. guys are still hunters to me. Like, they're yeah. hunting. That's them. Yeah. But I'm preaching to the guys that can afford the style of hunting that I'm talking about. I'm not talking shit about how other people hunt, even if it's a guy yeah. who high fence hunts. I've always had an asterisk. Just say what, just tell us what's going on. Don't try to like be sneaky and be like, shot this awesome bull. Yeah. Hey, guide, you're not in the picture. Get out of the picture. Uh, yeah. You know, no, tell us where you were. And that's, and there's no question. Like, it's cool. Um, yeah. Just post what ranch you were at. Or uh, if you bought a landowner tag, just tell us you got a landowner tag so we don't think, damn, he draws Nevada every year. How is he doing that? Well, yeah. he's buying a $12,000 landowner tag. You yeah. know, just let us know. So we can all agree. Um, that's the only thing I've ever said on here, but I don't think you should cut each other down. Yeah. You know what I mean? I completely agree with that. And it's kind of, I think for some people, that's all they got going for themselves is to cut other people down. Yeah. There's a lot of unhappy people in the world that, uh, and social media makes it easy to take pot shots at people. Yeah. You know, and we're doing that. You see it with hunting a lot. You know, we do it. You see it in general, just the, the way society is yeah. right now. But we do it ourselves in hunting. You know, I mean, the one article in the magazine there that I brought uh, dealing with the haters. You know, Brianna over on the west side, she killed that big bull and had hunters criticizing her. You know, she said, this wasn't about the horns for me. This was about this experience and this growth that I went through dealing with my own insecurities and not thinking I could do this, and I did it. And some guy was like, you know, she called them horns, not antlers. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> who cares? Who cares? <laughs> you know. Uh, Bob Lagasa, the guy who got bear yeah. attacked, came on this podcast. Great guy. Yeah, great He guy. showed me when he sent me, like, his Dropbox files of all the attack pictures. In there was the social media screenshots that yeah. luckily he took. And, I mean, I read just a couple to my wife. My kids weren't in the room. And she was like, there's no way any human being would write that. And I'm like, oh, no. Like, they're literally like these people. They're, they're, they're crazy. I mean, they, it's just, yeah, they, they know no bounds. A lot of them are from Europe, you know. And that's an interesting dynamic is Europe. I mean, I keep saying That's what saying he was it. talking about. Yeah. Bob was talking about. I keep saying it. Whatever happens in Europe is eventually finds its way to our, our shores. Hmm. Just look to Europe. They're a little ahead of us on this curve. And so what you see happening over there is going to be happening here. That's interesting. They just banned killing pigeons over in the U.K. I hunted in the Netherlands for an article I went and did. Um, and literally in the Netherlands, they have the animal party. Like your Democrats, your Republicans, your Libertarians. And they have the animal party, which speaks for the voice of the animals in Parliament. 
I'm taking these headphones off. I'm out of here. <laughs> Are you serious? I'm dead serious. The That article I did, we were hunting on these different farms and stuff, and the guys were like, please don't take any pictures with our farms in the background because they will come burn our farms down. I believe it. Well, that's interesting to look ahead. Well, we've kind of talked a little bit of everything, but we're going to yeah. get to the meats and potatoes cool. of kind of what we talked about before we hit record was like, listen, man, like you can send your senator a letter, your congressman a letter. You can copy and paste. But at the end of the day, it starts by talking to the people around you in your own community, mm-hmm. like the people that work out at my gym, all 200 of them. It's me showing them that I'm a hunter. Yep. I respect the animal more than they would ever know. And then I feed them yeah. the animals I kill. That's I bring a great gateway. My third elk I killed last year brought the whole thing, processed, handed it out. It was gone in a day to the members. We have any social events here. We're barbecuing. Guess what we're having? We're having elk burgers. Okay? Nice. And that is how you show people that you're just getting food. And there's yeah. a whole bunch of heritage and adventure and things that you don't you don't want to have to explain, but you will try to. Yeah. That, that's why you do it. Other than that, though, you guys go straight to the courtrooms. Like, you guys are, like you guys are fighting the real fights. Yeah. And you're going after literally like anti-hunting groups. Yeah. So talk to us about it. So yeah, our our whole reason for existence is to protect hunting, fishing, and trapping from the animal rights movement. And we're just the way the dynamic is set up. We're on the defense most of the time. They get to pick and choose where the battles are going to take place because you know most seasons are open, so they can pick and choose which ones they want to try to close. So we always have to be reacting quickly to that. You know, we do a few offensive things, but it's mostly defensive, and we work in all 50 state legislatures. We work in the state and federal court systems, and we work at the ballot box. You know, um, this this cycle, since January 1, has just been nuts. I mean, probably one of the busiest in the last 10, 15 years, literally. You guys hearing that? Like, how many? Like, 500 bills we've been tracking, monitoring, weighing in on in just the last three months. So is each bill a razor blade? Yeah. And that's one little cut. Yep. One little cut. Take a season here, remove a method there, do it in this state, now go to this state, go to the next state, and start taking it. And you take that low-hanging fruit, you just keep working your way up. You know, they're never going to be appeased. They don't care. They don't want to stop just hound hunting or just bait hunting or whatever, they want to stop all hunting. And once they finish with hound hunting and bait hunting and high fence or whatever it is, they're coming after bow hunting. They've gone after bow hunting in the past. In the 80s and the 90s, they went after it. And this is a circular argument they use. Bow hunting is too archaic, doesn't ensure a clean, quick kill, the animal bleeds to death, it's barbaric. Oh, but if you use a scoped rifle, that's unfair and unethical too. It, it doesn't matter what we do. We're they have an argument against it. Hmm. And so you just, there isn't, there's no quarter. I'm not giving up and not going to compromise. How would you play offense? Offense, um, uh, what we do a lot is families afield. So the threshold to get involved in hunting is high. Yeah, it is. The barrier to entry. Yeah. And no that's, joke. That's, a, that's been a huge problem, right? So whether you're a kid or an adult now, you have to have hunter's ed, which yep. we want people to be safety and understand hunter's education and all that but that's a time commitment you know like 
If you don't hunt and I say, hey, I'm going hunting, and you're like, I want to try it. Okay, well, first go sit in a, weeks of, a week of hunter ed class and then go out on this Saturday and show your proficiency with whatever weapon, and then you'll get this, and then you can go buy a license, and then we can do it. But the classes are full, so now you've got to wait six months to do it. So next season we can go. You know, it, they're gone. So our families afield, which is us, National Shooting Sports Foundation, and National Wild Turkey Federation launched it. Uh, Congressional Sportsman's Foundation and the NRA came on board a little afterwards. It launched in 2005. Families afield, we look at different states and remove the hunter ed requirement for a mentored hunter. So now if you want to go hunting, you can get your mentored hunter or apprentice license is what they call it. And you can go hunting with me right away without taking hunter's ed. You just have to be under my direct control. And I'm teaching you just like you would teach somebody. That's great. You know, and, and it's different in every state. But we're in 41 states. It's, it's happened in 41 states. My son last year hunted here in Washington. We have a one-year, once-in-a-lifetime, you can do it. And we work to expand those and make them longer. Uh, a couple states, it's unlimited. You know, but it, the data has shown that if you do it at least three years, a state does it at least three years, you have a higher conversion rate to that person going into hunter's ed and then becoming a lifetime license buyer on their own. You know, it's not an easy thing. It's not like you're just picking up a model car kit at Home Depot no, and, and it together. No, it's fascinating because we talk about the elk hunting learning curve. Like if you were like, well, what's elk shape about? Well, I would say it's probably like personal development brand more than anything. Like I'm helping people leverage elk hunting mm-hmm. to make them way more disciplined and way more successful outside of elk hunting because uh, they parallel each other. Yeah. You get your shit together outside of elk hunting, your elk hunting is going to be better. And then the elk hunting learning curve, just absolute like quit making these mistakes that everyone makes and you're going to get better at elk hunting. Well, because we cover that, so many guys reach out that didn't have a dad or anyone in their life, an uncle, grandfather. They just are 20-something. They're like, I want to try elk hunting or I want to try deer hunting. And I've heard their stories. Dude, it's like so painful to hear how slow it was for them to get into hunting. Yeah. A lot of how many of them are out there that tried and just gave up because yeah. it's just the barrier to entry and like learning all the things that it takes to do, and ultimately they just want to go on an adventure and be outside, right? Yeah. Like they're very curious. So this is cool. Well, Washington has one cool thing going for it, like that <laughs> mentorship program. Yeah, where I can take somebody who's never hunted, and I can be their official mentor as long as I'm with them. I think there's like a little paperwork to fill out or yeah. something to sign off, and then you can take them, but yeah. you can't. Don't leave their side. Yeah. And it's yeah, one time, one, yeah. one season or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Does, does there any other states to do that? Yeah. There's 41 states. Okay. There's 41 states. That's that part of that. families afield. That's part of families yeah. afield. And Gr- so. Great program. I did it with my wife when she, we first got married. Before she took hunter safety, I was able to take her yeah. hunting for yep. a year. So I did it with my son last year and he got his first deer. That's and, great. You know, so it's great. So, But when it was first started, we looked at it as a youth program. Okay. And then we looked at it and we went, wait a minute. There you go. A new hunter is a new hunter. It doesn't matter if they're 16 or 60. So we've gone back to states and or new states and tried to eliminate that age, those age holes. You know? Well, I think this food conversation is a, po- is a positive one. Oh, yeah. Like the guys I'm talking about, gateway. like that's what got them. That is yeah. the gateway. They're, yeah. they're like, dude, I'm really into CrossFit. I'm really yeah. into fitness. Healthy. I'm super jealous dude. that you don't even buy meat at the store. Yeah. Can you show me how to get down that road, you know? 
Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so food is the greatest gateway. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, it's a great way to do it. The celebration of the feast. I mean, that's been part of our, since we were cavemen, yeah. you know, celebrating over food. And so how are you guys going to keep up with the demand? I don't see it going down. I don't see legislation yeah. going like, oh, we have nothing to fight right now. How do we get... Like, what's your, here's your voice. You're talking to a, my audience. How, what can we do? Arm us with either the information or the action steps to help you guys fight for us. Yeah. So what we need is obviously members. We need support financially because ultimately, actually, I was just working on writing a piece on this, is ultimately it usually boils down either to lawyers or lobbyists. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you don't have lawyers and lobbyists, you're just going to lose. You know, the wolf if you want to get back to talking about the mm-hmm. wolves, the Great Lake Wolf case, we've been fighting that for 10 years. That will go down to, did they vote no on that uh, recently? Uh, which? In Minnesota. Uh, actually, <laughs> I just put out an alert this morning. Um, their state house of representatives passed by one vote <sighs> a uh, an amendment that was tucked into a 484-page bill <laughs> to ban wolf hunting in the future. One vote got that. Got got that in there. And so now it's going to so, move on to. So now it moves into because their House and Senate were in conflict. Now it goes into a committee made of both senators and representatives in Minnesota. Not good to man. discuss this. No, it, the further along these things get in the process, the harder they are to stop. So now we have to convince this committee to stop. Yeah. So that's where it's like, okay, now everybody in Minnesota or anybody who goes to Minnesota and hunts needs to call. And calling is better than, way better than uh, writing a letter or an email or something like that. Just pick up the phone. If they hear from 10 people, they're going to be going, oh, crap. They know that there's thousands out there. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when you get letters to the editor or whatever, somebody complains, you can multiply that by 100 or 1,000 or whatever, knowing that other people are thinking the same thing. Interesting. And you just start calling and calling, and everybody calls, they start getting the message, you know. Yeah, that's what happened with the contest bills in in some of the states is uh, in New Jersey there and stuff is Dude, they started yeah. calling. Like, okay, so I'm 37. It. I've never heard of anyone worried about a coyote, like, contest. Yeah. And then just recently, it seemed like the last year or so, like. The last since January 1. It's like. January 1. Coming like out, states. swinging at, like. Nine states. Dude, you can't get rid of coyotes. You can have a derby every day. Like, you're not going to get rid of coyotes. Yeah, yeah. No, and it's it, it, it was a concerted effort this session. It, wow. It came out January 1 and started with New Mexico mm-hmm. and Oregon. Montana actually had it. That got killed quickly, though. Yeah. Um, Wisconsin, New York, New Jersey, Nevada. I think there was a couple others. But you watched it. And, and was Nevada the felony? Felony. Ugh. So actually, this is going to be the feature in the next issue that oh, okay. we're putting out is okay. the humanization of wildlife. We saw it happen and fast forward. In one legislative cycle, we saw it go from we want to ban contests, and then they wrote them really broad so any wildlife contest would be caught in there. Like two dudes going out shooting coyotes, and you say, I killed two and I killed one. We're tracking it, and we're being entertained. Therefore, we could be potentially nailed by the letter of the law if you if you enforce it to the letter of the law. It's ridiculous. So yeah. we saw that happen, and we saw it specifically call out coyotes, yep. and then we saw it move to this absurd idea of a Class D felony 
which is the equivalent of manslaughter. So now they're equating killing a coyote in a contest with manslaughter. One to four years in prison, $10,000 fine, all this other stuff. But that's the ultimate goal of these people, of these movements, is to make animals equivalent with people. And the punishment fits the crime. They want the same punishment. Your life is equal to that coyote. Right. I can kill you. I can kill the coyote. doesn't matter. I'm going to prison for the same amount of yeah. time. That's their ideology. Wow. And it's and insane. It's, it's really... And now you have the Non-Human Rights Project, which is a group that's just come up in the last six years. Okay. Literally are fighting for rights, personhood, for great apes, whales, elephants, these megafauna animals is where they're starting, but even on their webpage... They're called what kind of mega what? Charismatic... Charismatic megafauna is how they call them. What Never call heard to say it like that. Charismatic wow. megafauna. You know, it's basically your Disney animals. They've been got a cartoon after them. That's what you're talking about. If they appeared in a Disney movie, that's your charismatic megafauna. Wolves, bears, dude. Life lions. just needs to be harder. Yeah, <laughs> we'd have so much less to worry yeah. about. <laughs> no, yeah. I just think we need to turn up the like. Life needs to get harder on all of us. Yeah, like we when, when we actually had to hunt. And gather food to eat. Nobody no worried about worry this. Nobody worried about a megafauna <laughs> animal that Disney. Yeah. We got way too much time on our hands nowadays to oh, complain man. about things. This stuff bums me out. I don't want to put that vibe. Yeah. Like, I want to, like, spin this positively. Like, I want to fire people up. But, like, look, I don't like the way I feel about our conversation right now. I like yeah. you. Yeah. But it's just, like, it's. I know it's the truth. Yeah. I know it's the reality. Mm-hmm. And so rather than just, like, Chilling out and doing absolutely nothing. Damn it, we need to do something. Yeah. So, hey, if you're one of those turds, you're not going to pick up a phone, fine. Write a check. Yeah. That's, that will work. Yeah. At least you know, and then follow the money. Where can people follow your guys' money to see where it goes? Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's up there in the lawyers. <laughs> you can see it in the lawyer. The wolf case has been a 10-year case. We've delisted wolves in the Great Lake States, Great Lake States three times only to have the Humane Society shop it around and get them relisted. And that plays into our wolf issue here. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. setting precedent. So we're involved in three federal lawsuits right now. The Great Lakes Wolves, delisting the Yellowstone Grizzly Bear, and the Alaska Wildlife Refuge preserves, parks and preserves up there, which is a public lands issue. Yeah. You know, so those are three federal lawsuits we're involved in. And we sued the... Uh, state of New Jersey and their new governor because he walked in, yeah. literally made a promise to animal rights activists on his campaign trail saying he will end the bear hunt there. And he came in and he couldn't end the bear hunt outright because we, in a court case we had back in 2005, it, we won and it said that, no, you don't have that right. The right rests with the fishing game and, Correct. and the bear plant. And so he couldn't end it outright. So what he did is, by executive order, he closed state public lands to the bear hunt. Oh, you son of a gun. Yeah. You sly dog, you. And their argument was, we're not stopping, we're not doing it as, we're, we're doing this action as a manager of the lands. And so that's where we're, that's the legal case now that we're fighting. Okay. And we're looking at. And well, so, I really want you guys to win those cases. Yeah. That's you horrible precedent. You need some money. Yeah, that, to that, do that. That's horrible precedent because now any any governor can come in and go. I don't like elk hunting. Nope. I think they're majestic. 
I want to close it, so I'm going to close it on state-owned public lands. Yeah. Right there. And now yep. if you've got 50 states doing that, now we've just politicized wildlife, we've thrown out biology, we've thrown out scientific management, and now it's just who's got the campaign mm -hmm. promises, who's going to get the media, and who's going to get the urban vote. At the end of the day, this all boils down to rural versus urban. I mean, look at us here in Washington. The east side of the mountains didn't make these rules <laughs> that no. we live under. No. It's the I-5 corridor that made the rules. 100%. You know. I mean, that's... And that's a, what it all boils Oregon. down to. Same in Oregon. Yeah. You can divide Oregon. California, even. California. As crazy as it is, yep. there's a lot of great folks, incredible hunting, incredible habitat, you know, but it's the I-5 corridor literally from that Bellingham to San Diego that runs everything in those three states. No doubt. That's really interesting. I talked about BHA a little bit. I'm a lifetime member. I really like what they do for public lands. Yeah. I've had to dig in and research and ask some really close friends and ask some hard questions. Mm -hmm. Rightfully so, right? Yeah. They've passed my checks. They they continue to do good work for clean water, but more importantly, like, like public, lands. public lands. Okay, yeah. that's my deal. Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation would love because you said find an animal. That's my animal. That's my spirit animal. Yeah. Is elk. I would love to support them. Did they? So tell me a little bit. You worked with them a little bit. How's that gone? Do they have a new CEO now? What's going on there? Yeah, yeah. Kyle Weaver. He used to be at uh, NRA. He's the new CEO. Took over a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, yeah. No, they've been. Involved with the wolf lawsuit for years now. So there, there are partners there. Um, and the grizzly lawsuit, uh, there are partners with us on that. And that's part of what we do is we're called the Alliance, right? We partner with everybody. 100%. I mean, we, yeah, I mean, you have to. Yeah, yeah. Elk Foundation, SCI. Whose uh, lawyers Jesus. are they that you guys are using? There are lawyers. They're your have. lawyers on we, retainer? We, yes. Okay. And they're in D.C. and... Uh, Bill Horn, the, who heads it up, he's one of the best in the industry. I mean, he was in Congress in the 80s, and he's served under presidents, and he knows his stuff inside and out, and he's been doing this for decades. And well, Who's going to take over when he's gone? Uh, he's got a couple of guys underneath him okay. that uh, he's grooming. I'm seriously worried no. about our future, man. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. We're, we're worried about that, too. Try to keep Bill around as much as possible because he is good. I mean, he has been championing, championing and part of our ethos that was just passed in the last sportsman's package that passed, you know, yeah. the bipartisan, um, was open until closed. And we've been, he's been hounding on that since the 70s. Since we started, that's been part of what we've been trying to pass for 40 years, literally, and it just passed in that last package, and that's open until closed. Right now, your BLM and Forest Service lands and all these have to be opened by regulation to hunting, right? So they have to say, okay, we're going to open this parcel to hunting, this animal or this animal. Well, by having that, it's a regulation, public comment period opens, animal rights movement has a chance to come in and block it or demand all these different environmental impact statements and blah, 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 blah. Our view has always been, and Bill was a big driver of this, is that it's public land. It should be open unless there's a reason to close it, you know? And so that actually got passed in that huge package that, that came out at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Um, that was included in there. Hmm. And so now that puts the onus on the animal rights movement to prove that this chunk shouldn't be open and to do the environmental impact stage, it reversed the role. So that's yeah. an offensive move there. I like right? it. And then, even if it does prove that, 
the language in there is that it has to be the smallest amount of land possible to advance and to take it there. So if you have the okay, three-toed salamander yeah. that's found on this 600 acres, you can't protect 60,000 acres because potentially it could be. No, you protect this. That's good. That's good language. Yeah. We talked about what you can be offensively. We talked a little about what you guys are about, but supporting you guys and getting involved, like, I think it's kind of a no-brainer, right? Like, you, you kind of set the stage for where to where to put your money at. But looking at your guys' messages and stuff, you're on Facebook. Yep. You have a website. You put out a publication. You're on Instagram. Yep. P.S. They need help on their Instagram following. <laughs> help them. It's at Sportsman's Alliance. Sportsman's All. Sportsman's I All. I don't think they'd let us have that. Oh, okay. Huge long word. So Sportsman's, M-E-N-S-A-L-L. They'll find you. Yeah. You guys need to get those numbers up there because yeah. Instagram's very powerful. You're doing – what else are you guys doing? It's like where can people find you guys? Like I'm just trying to figure out all the places to keep up to date because it sounds like you guys are on it. Yeah. No, uh, probably Facebook is our most active. And yeah. our website, of course, because everything that's on the website I end up putting on Facebook. But that's probably the most active. Uh, kind of my philosophy there is I put our stuff in there. When it comes, like today, it was breaking, you know, like literally my boss was texting me at 7.15 this morning, like, hey, need you ASAP. I'm like, okay, I'm rolling out of bed and get my coffee. What's up? The wolf thing, you know, dropped in Minnesota. Boom. So it's out there. But what I do in between that is I'm highlighting stories that are in the news that are related to our mission. Um, may not be directly related, but here's what happens when mismanagement takes place. There's a rabid bobcat in Massachusetts. Oh, Massachusetts also doesn't, it's pretty damn strict on trapping, if there isn't even trapping. Um, this is what happens when mismanagement takes place. You have overpopulation, you have disease, you have attacks. Animals run out of, you know, overrun the, the carrying capacity of the land. They move into suburbs. Now you're having these different issues taking place. Or here's some great conservation stuff from our partners or people we work with, whether it's Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or Delta. I think I put up a Delta thing last night on, you know, wetlands that ducks are using right now. You know, sharing content. It goes back to when I was at ESPN and those headline news stories that we never thought were going to do any traffic ended up doing most of the traffic. And it's water cooler stuff like, oh, I'm going to show up at the gym and I'm going to say, hey, did you see this story that this happened or this happened? You know, so that's kind of the stuff that I'm sharing on. I there. love it. And then mixing on our stuff and the political stuff when it arises and we need to and saying, hey, if you're in Ohio or Washington or Oregon or whatever state it's in, you need to call right now. You need to call your senators. Here's the link. You can just look it up on our website, and it'll give you all the contact info for your state senators, legislators, your congressional, whatever, you know, so. So bizarre, man. Like, I don't think you're that much older than me, a little bit. A little bit. But never in my lifetime did I ever see this day coming where, like, I had to be involved. Seriously, like, even 15 years ago, it yeah. didn't matter. Like, I just went hunting. Yeah. It was great. I was obsessed with it. I didn't even, like... NRA, sure. A little bit of Rocky Mountain Oak Foundation, sure. But now, like, I think we're just at a different time. Yeah, we have to. If we don't, it's going to go. And they're doing it. They're, it is happening. They've literally said, Wayne Paselli, the old CEO of Humane Society of the United States, said species by species, state by state, we're going to use the legislative process and the ballot box to end hunting. Just point blank said it. That's okay. what they're doing. And they're going to pick and choose, and they're going to slice away death by a thousand cuts. And the two 
we're our own worst enemies on a lot of it. The dumb photos that we talked about that give them ammo to go after things, because then what you see is knee-jerk legislation. You know, the, the big media uproar and the legislators in that district or the state or within the, that area go, oh, we can't have that because they want to appease that, that media storm. We're going to ban it. You know, um, our own apathy. We just want to hunt. Don't blame you. I just want to hunt too. I know. We just want to do it. but just want to be left alone, you know. And, but if we don't get involved, they're going to take it. And don't for a second think, well, they can try to ban hunting, but I'll just do it. And you're like, yeah. dude, come on. Figure it out. Yeah. There's too many people on this planet. Like, you have to join the fight. Yeah. You know what I mean? You well, cannot just, stand on the side, sidelines. Yeah. Like, I mean, just what we were just saying here in Washington. Seattle, the I-5 corridor, they make the laws for eastern Washington. Yeah. If we're not vocal and aren't being active, they're just going to keep doing it. You know? Yeah. And they just do it state by state. Every state, that's the issue. When it's a ballot initiative, that's what you've got to look at, the voting centers. You know, even in Montana. They tried to ban trapping on public lands in Montana in 2016. That's ballsy. Yeah. You know, and you'd think, oh, well, this would be great. I believe in Montana there's, like, only three months out of 12 that you can't hunt something. Yeah. And those have great fishing months. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's how Montana rules. (laughs) So it's just funny to me they try to go there. But it's reality. Um, Yeah, I mean, if they can go into Montana and Alaska and different places like this, they can go anywhere and try it. Yeah. they will do it. They will go anywhere. So in this state, Washington, we we actually – I think we had a cougar kill a dude this year. Or is that just 2018? That was last, yeah, about this uh, June last year, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And I think Oregon had, Oregon, yeah. A couple months later in I August, September. Dude, it's going to keep happening because yeah. we we banned hound hunting. Yeah. And I just don't see a lot of incidental kills with, with mountain lions. They're, no, you they're just, ghosts. They're ghosts. So, they're ghosts, man. Um, it's just stuff like that that we have to take advantage of and be like, yeah. see, this is, this, yeah. you know. Oh, and, and that's how we could be offensive. And that's what I was trying to do on Facebook. I, I laid it. Here, this blood is on the hands of the Humane Society of the United States. Yep. They're the ones that came in and banned hound hunting here in Washington in 1996. This is the result. Yeah. And about 20, 20, 30 years after animal rights movement policies get adopted, it, they start falling apart. Yeah. They always start falling apart. But before they fall apart, it's disease, destruction, debt, and death. All the animals are all still dying. Right. I mean, mountain lions are still being killed. The state's killing mountain lions. Did you guys hear that? Right. Mountain lions are still being killed by the state, which yeah. costs the state money. Costs the state They're money. They're not making any money on that. No. They're losing money, and the animal gets wasted. It gets thrown away. It's not used. Yeah. That would be a violation, so you can't use it. So the, animal get, the animals are still getting killed under depredation. California, four times as many animals are killed now, of mountain lions are killed, than there ever was during hunting season. And when Humane Society passed that initiative in California, they also demanded in the bill that a necropsy had to be done on each of them. So an autopsy has to be done on each mountain lion that's killed. How much does that cost, dude? Exactly. And there was no funding source for it. So that's being taken out of your general account. Oh. So now conservation is losing twice. And at the end of the day, this is all about conservation because our hunting dollars, tags, excise taxes – go into conservation you take a season away you take dollars away the wildlife is suffering so we say you know support us because we're saving wildlife or we save we're saving hunting saving wildlife 
the hunter is the best conservationist out there. The Which we all know, but yeah. we don't know if our friends know that. we got to keep pumping yes. that message out. Do yes. it tastefully. Yeah. you got a lot of friends and followers on social media that don't hunt. you got to start thinking about that, myself included. Yeah. I've, made, I've probably done some dumb shit on the Internet, but, hey, you can call me out. I'm, I'm a man. I can take it. Yeah. Um, but we can all try to do this in the name of better hunting for our future. Yeah. Um, dude, you sold me. Awesome. I'm serious. Uh, I just like that you guys, your hands are dirty. Yeah. You got uh, some badass lawyers on retainer in D.C. where they need to be. Yeah. Um, And you knew every topic, every subject. You're you're on all the relevant stuff. So We're involved in everything. Thank God. Yeah. And, and, uh, I mean, we're small. I mean, we are tiny compared to everybody else out there. We're small. But uh, we're mobile and agile. And if you look at our little logo there, it's kind of like in the shape of a spear there, we like to think of ourselves as the tip of the spear. We go in, we're sharp, we go in, we're small, but we get the penetration and start doing the damage and the weight behind us, which is are the other conservation organizations. It's all the hunters, the members, everybody else is the weight and, you know, that that velocity behind the initial cut that we make. And then y'all tear it open for us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Brian, thanks for coming on today. This you is betcha. Brian Lynn. He actually uh, kind of not too far from me, so this no, is super convenient. Easy. And again, we said Facebook's probably the best place. We mentioned your Instagram. What's the website is uh, Sportsmen's M E N S Sportsmen's Alliance dot org dot org. Easy you can get Sportsmen's Alliance dot org. Cool. All right, guys, I'll post some links on the show notes. Give these guys a follow. Get behind. Do your own damn research behind them yourself. Dig yeah. in. Follow the money, yeah. not only where it goes, but where it comes from. Mm-hmm. And if you have any questions, uh, you can reach out to Brian. Th- appreciate your time, man. Thank you. Awesome. Glad to be here anytime. All right, we'll do it again soon. Sounds good, bud. Cool.